Hello, good evening, and welcome to the Ministry of Propaganda. Me and Chris tonight are going to be talking about all sorts of geopolitical developments. There's a lot going on. Iran-Saudi deal, Xi-Putin meeting, uh, other meetings and discussions with Syria and Turkey, uh, TikTok CEO being grilled, um, a democracy summit in America, which the Chinese have counted with their own summit, and some great commentary coming out of uh, some African leaders uh, and also, yes, an, an arrest warrant for Putin, uh, Putin, the war criminal. Um, so, Chris, where do you want to begin? So it's been quite a quite a big one, hasn't it? It's uh, it seems to be showing a sort of cracks in the Western sort of block are starting to appear. I say starting. We've we've seen this go, start for quite a while now. Um, obviously, one of the ones that really caught our interest was the deal between Saudi Arabia and Iran um, in. Beijing, sponsored by the Chinese. Obviously, this is a deal that is very upsetting for the Americans. Uh, one, because it's one of their puppets making peace with one of their enemies. Two, it's hosted by China. America hates China being perceived as a peacemaker on the world stage. Um, they want to be the only ones negotiating any peace deal, whether it be from Israel to Palestine, from the United Kingdom to, to Ireland, America loved to be the ones sponsoring these uh, quote-unquote peace agreements. Uh, so for mm. China to be sort of taking this mantle from them, it, it's, it's got to sting a little bit. Mm. It's definitely China showing leadership in the world. Um, Iran and Saudi Arabia have been effectively at some people have called it a cold war a middle eastern cold war for a decade um we could say and for them to cross uh you know the gulf and try and repair their relations and try and start so i mean i, I don't think this is necessarily um the end of all of that tension um that underlying tension um but i think that it's definitely the beginning and yeah for the chinese to do this to broker this um, this was Xi's, uh, you know, sort of global statesman uh, sort of statement, I guess. And uh, he's just, you know, been re-elected um, at the, at the, the CCPPCC, the, 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 basically the Chinese parliament. He's obviously been ratified as the president. Obviously, we know that the Congress, the, the party's Congress was uh, end of last year. Yes. Um, and yeah, so now he's the president. And this is one of his first things as, a, as the leader of China uh, re-elected. Uh, is to make this deal, which is which I think is a great, and it, it, this is a positive thing. This is a good thing, and you're absolutely right that Saudi Arabia doing this pivot, uh, turning to the east, uh, is, yeah, quite quite. This is quite a big development. Uh, at the same time, you know they haven't quite abandoned uh, the U.S. You know it's still their big arms supplier. They still have all these U.S. bases, um, but I think this is also going to be most most positive actually for the guys in Yemen. Um, the Yemen people, the Yemenis people, uh, yeah. Yemenis, I don't know how to say it, sorry. But they are the ones, obviously, who I think you could say them and the Syrians and the Iraqis were the ones that bore the most sort of brunt of this global, of this Cold War, this Middle Eastern Cold War. So I, I think it's really good for them. There's a great picture that um, a French uh, cartoonist drew, um, Carl's Latouf, uh, this <laughs> one here. This is a good one here. So the, the big, strong panda holding the bridge over the Gulf between Iran and Saudi Arabia, and you've got then America and Israel sort of angrily sitting there with their, 
their detonator, hoping to try and blow up this bridge. Um, which I think it's yeah, Latouf is a great cartoonist. So this is um, a pretty accurate depiction of of what's going on and and who's upset. Yes, yeah. and it is obviously it's a it's a huge um, sort of blow to Israel as well. Uh, recently, if anyone doesn't know, Israel has been basically in a state of complete protest for the past uh, couple of weeks over uh, judicial reforms that Netanyahu is trying to get through. And Netanyahu's just been uh, as a visit to the UK to meet the Prime Minister here. And it was quite interesting, the mixed messages that came out of that meeting, where our Prime Minister says, oh, um, the meeting was about restoring calm and order to Israel over their protests. But Netanyahu said, oh, we, we just talked about the threat from Iran. Like, did you, though, or did you talk about the threat from Iran and then talked about you getting stability at home and putting your ducks in order and, and start trying to be a dictator and take over your courts? Um, it, it seems it's, it's a huge talking point for them, obviously. America are going to be absolutely devastated. Just to sort of flush things out, this deal, it is a deal, an agreement to restore diplomacy. Uh for the past, I think since 2013, they've not had embassies in each of the countries. Um, obviously, Iran, as as you alluded to, have been uh, sponsoring and arming the Houthis in Yemen, and along with North Korea, actually, some of the weapons there. But I think a, a lot of the weapons probably have um, a common sort of ancestry in terms of design and manufacture anyway. I think a lot of the designs for both of them actually come from the Pakistani weapons program but it's by the body um mm. so yeah it, it, a lot seems to be happening and it's come at a time obviously with the protests in iran which are still there but you hear less and less of them they do seem to be calming down it seems to be now that that the american sort of hopes and fantasy last year that this was going to topple the government doesn't mm. seem to have happened and isn't happening I think it, the Iranian government is going to sort of reform itself out of it slightly. Um, but yeah, these, these do seem to be positive developments and it, it just shows that this sort of a diplomatic narrative that the West have been portraying of, of them leading the, the diplomatic angle of their countries doesn't seem to work anymore. Countries are starting to think for themselves again. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, and also you could say regionality. So, um, you know, this is regional politics. Obviously, the Chinese brokered uh, and, and used their, their clout to uh, build the bridge, so to speak. But it still definitely is very much regionality as well. So that, that, that conflict was also regional. Um, but you did have America behind uh, Saudi Arabia and sort of advancing and pushing that sort of uh, antagonism against Iran. So, yeah, this is the emergence of, of regionalism. Um, beyond the unipolar or even bipolar world, um, which, which is, yeah, it's positive, and that's where things are going. Um, also, coming yeah. to sort of next to the next part of the diplomatic discussion is, um, yeah, obviously Xi and Putin met in Moscow, uh, but at the same time, uh, Putin also hosted a number of other leaders from that region. So we had, uh, I think he had, he was speaking to um, Erdogan as well as um, Assad. Uh, and Saudi Arabia to sort of see how they could piece things together. So I'm going to jump ahead to this article here. Uh, here, Putin meets Assad as Russia pushes for Syria-Turkey accords. This 
thing obviously follows, you know, potential deal follows China's success in Iran's Saudi deal. But we're seeing then a four-way talk with Moscow, Iran, Syria, and Turkey to try and then alleviate and end and, and move on from the discussion, uh, sorry, the, the conflict um, in, in Syria, which is, which is great. Um, I think it's going to be quite awkward, though, for the <laughs> there will be a, um, a Saigon moment, uh, a Kabul moment for those American troops, though, that are still in Syria guarding the oil fields there. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. And again, I feel like this is, this is a war now that has no right to have dragged on as long as it has done. ISIS is now a re-view memory. I mean, I, I'm, I'm almost shocked and surprised there aren't Oscar-worthy films about ISIS at this point. That, that they're, they're a figure of, of history now. Mm. Mm. The conflict yeah, itself, yeah. when you look yeah. at the civil war maps of Syria, the uh, what used to be the Free Syrian Army, I think now they've rebranded themselves again to that, the Syrian National Army, um, confusingly, considering they're not the Syrian National Army, um, right. um, they hold a fraction of the territory that they ever held. Turkey actually hold more territory now than they do. Uh, the opposition, the democratic opposition, has smashed itself into about 11 different Islamist groups. Not as democratic as they may have led you to want to believe. <laughs> Which is almost a joke in itself that you could ever have had a democratic front being led by al-Nusra. and. <laughs> <laughs> Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah I, I, I think for the pieces of, of those global, well, regional efforts too, actually. So Turkey, we always kind of knew, how are these um, Syri Syrian democratic forces or the, the, the rebels, the democratic rebels, how, how are they being able to fight the Syrian government? They're obviously all coming through the, the Turkish border. Are the Turks yeah. allowing this? And, and, you know, now that, I mean, obviously this is old news so that, you know, they have Turkish watchtowers within Syrian territory, um, it was very obvious where and how that opposition was funded and supported. But hopefully, you know, we see the end of this and we see Turkish troops going back um, yeah. and the Syrian government, the Syrian people being able to decide their own fate for themselves. And the fact um, that it is Turkey who's involved in this, and this is one of the real interesting things, is that, again, it's, it's mm -hmm. these cracks in the Western alliance. Turkey itself being a member of NATO, um, a mm -hmm. former applicant of the EU, because it's got its tippy-toe in Europe, it thinks it's European. <laughs> uh, but it doesn't behave like a member of NATO, and it doesn't behave like a member of the uh, an applicant of the EU. It, it's very much a loose cannonball on the deck. The fact that it, it has so many meetings, agreements, and just discussions with um, Russia and with essentially adversaries of the West, mm. and so many engagements and agreements with them. It just shows that this alliance isn't unified at all. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Absolutely, yeah. Just come back into just coming back to um, to Syria and Saudi. So we talked about Iran and uh, Saudi, and of course, then Putin trying to uh, piece things together as well. Um, we also have, you know, here. So this is quite recently. This is let's check the date. So this is the twenty fourth of March. So yeah, only six days ago, um, you have Assad. Uh, hoping to also, you know, uh, in talks uh, over resumption of consular services between the two countries. So, yeah, this is definitely happening, um, yeah. even though, you know, that they were just talking in uh, in Moscow and Putin was pushing this thing. You can see they're also doing it 
uh, amongst each other themselves. So Saudis and Syria are also um, in their own talks. So, so I think this is definitely happening. I think we're seeing the end of that sort of regional Cold War conflict. Um, you said a, a loose cannonball on the deck. Um, uh, I just wanted to mention another sort of, you could say a loose cannonball in some respects, uh, maybe not the same way, but um, you have the um, UN Security Council recently held a vote um, on whether they should allow an independent investigation uh, or probe, I should say, uh, into the Nord Stream uh, blast explosion. So, um, yeah. So China regrets the United Nations Security Council rejection to probe Nord Stream blasts, questions U.S. blocking of resolution. Okay, so on Monday uh, of this week, um, the UNSC rejected a Russia-submitted draft resolution urging an independent international investigation into the Nord Stream blasts by a vote of three in favor. And here's your cannonball, China, Russia, Brazil, to uh, none against, uh, with 12 abstentions, including the U.S. Okay, so... You can see Brazil is still um, voting, uh, you know, with with BRICS in this sense yes. here. Um, in India, uh, not not so much. So that's a cannibal, I guess, for both sides. The Indians aren't quite, um, uh, you know, they have they have problems with China, but um, they are very good friends with Russia. You know, Russia provides their arms. So yes, uh, I just think this is quite interesting. I mean, and also just yeah. on the actual matter itself, it's an this is an independent uh, UN led investigation or it would have been so had this passed this vote that meant the um un secretary general would have had then been forced to uh come up with a panel and, and do and organize an investigation under the un um they voted against it so yeah any thoughts on this chris yeah um just the fact that they're abstained it's kind of makes me laugh i watch a lot of um sort of law programs and stuff uh with my fiance that always makes me laugh in american courts whenever you've got that obviously guilty cop or anything like that, and they ask a question get asked a question did you plant this and i plead the fifth uh, i kind of answer as it may incriminate me and it's, yeah. it's just like such an obvious i did it but i i'm legally allowed not to say and that's basically what america are doing um yeah a, a, a general actually regarding this a few a few weeks ago in their investigations said that they believe it was conducted by a pro-ukrainian party but, well you then you are that pro-ukrainian party so i will can, can neither confirm nor deny <laughs> but right. it is you are the pro-ukrainian right. party <laughs> <laughs> i mean we were going to try and get um uh seymour hirsch to try and uh, speak to us we might maybe we'll, we'll get lucky and he's he'll speak to us oh, he's quite a busy guy as you can imagine yes. But um, one of the things that we were going to bring up with him is any of the forms of whoever you think did the Nord Stream attack, none of them have good outcomes. So if it's Russia, that means the Russians attacked German infrastructure. So it's Article 5 of NATO. Okay, that's if, if it's the Russians, if you think it's the Russians. Yep. If it's any other NATO partner, so Britain or whatever, the same applies. It's an attack on Germany, an attack on NATO. Okay. Yep. Uh, if it's the U.S., then it's still the U.S. attacking German infrastructure and Russian infrastructure. So you have sort of a threat of nuclear war from the Russian side. But then you have a yeah. very bizarre question of, well, the U.S. is attacking key German infrastructure, which has led to the closure of metal plants and all sorts of economic uh, impacts. So that's also not a good outcome. So, And then the fourth one, okay, Ukraine. Ukraine did it. 
Okay, so Ukraine attacked Europe. <laughs> so none of these options, none of these options are good. Yeah. yeah, for I think for the West, it's more convenient not to investigate because they don't like, like I said, they don't want to see what the answer is because the answer might be embarrassing to them. If the goal was simply to stop Europe using Russian gas, they were only a couple of sections away from being able to achieve that anyway. They didn't need to attack the infrastructure and the fact that Russia's been repairing it. That was almost like a joke accusation anyway, that they even said that, oh, Russia did it to themselves. They literally controlled the dialogue they were and they could have just turned it off. That's what they needed to do. And now the evidence on the ground very much hints that it essentially was one of our countries. <laughs> That's it. That's it. Um, on the, the sort of plus side, uh, some Chinese observers, as the Global Times writes, uh, Chinese observers suggested there could be an alternative to an international probe into the Nord Stream sabotage. Russia can propose a draft resolution to the UN General Assembly, where only a majority of the members is needed to be present to vote on and adopt a resolution. So this might not be the end of this one. Uh, the General Assembly might have to decide on it. And I mean, I think it's yeah. a, a decent proposal. Whether um, you know, you're a US-backed or funded puppet state or whatever, um, you're talking about an attack on international infrastructure. So we live in a digital age with, uh, you know, trans international uh, transatlantic cables and uh, all sorts of things running across these ocean beds, um, whether that's gas or electricity or whatever. Um, so this is definitely extremely important to everyone that we figure out who did it and, uh, yeah, uh, find the culprits. Yeah. Yeah. I always find it quite interesting that it's at this time now when that's been done, because obviously the Soviet Union was supplying gas to Eastern Europe mm -hmm. in the same way that the Soviet Union had McDonald's towards the end of mm -hmm. the 90s. And it's almost like after all the ideological conflict that happened during the Cold War of capitalism versus communism, it's like they seem to hate now modern Russia more than they ever did that. It's like you let the Soviet Union have McDonald's, but you won't let the Russian Federation. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is true. There's actually, I mean, and, and uh, what was it? There was there was something we talked about before, but someone, the fact that um, uh, someone attended the funeral, I was, even even the Soviet Union was allowed to attend some funeral. There was a Queen's funeral, wasn't it? I think that was, yeah. it. yes, the Queen's funeral was even attended by, yes, that was, it was the other way around when, 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 when um, that doesn't matter. The point still stands, yes. It was something yeah. that the fact that, Russia is actually in worse, in worse books and in a badder sort of worse doghouse than, than the Soviet Union was in the West, yeah. at least. The fact that they yeah. didn't allow Putin to attend a World War II celebration in Europe yeah. to celebrate yeah. the, the victors of World War II, but they invited Germany for their contribution. <laughs> <Yeah>. Yes. <laughs> Great contribution. <laughs> Thank you for your contribution. Yeah. Okay. Let's talk about this. Um, uh, so the, 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 obviously we're still talking a bit about Chinese uh, international sort of motions and diplomacy, but the the US obviously has been hosting the Summit for Democracy, and there's been some great stuff that the Chinese have um, released and organised in response. Um, I'll play the video of of an African leader talking about it in a bit, but I think what I want to show you first is the, um, I mean I, I think this is very well timed. Uh, so this report is the. It's the Chinese government's report on human rights violations in the United States. So I'll bring this up here for us, and then we can talk about this. So have you heard about this, Chris? 
Yes. Okay. So yeah, so here it is. Um, we're not going to read the whole thing, of course, but it's got some great um, excerpts and some shocking excerpts, really. I mean, obviously, we shouldn't, you know, uh, take too much pride in, in, in how bad human rights violations in the United States are. But it's interesting to talk about these things because of how the leaders and the, the regime in the US tries to tout itself as the defender of human rights and the defenders of freedom and the defenders of democracy and all of this stuff. So um, it obviously talks about all sorts of things, um, you know, things about gun control. Um, so for example, uh, more than 80,000 people were killed or injured by gun violence in 2022. Um, and there were more than 600 mass shootings. And obviously a few days ago, we had another mass shooting and I believe uh, the statistics or something like we've already had two every day for this year yeah. in the US. 130 uh, so far this year, I believe. I say we, yeah. them, America. Yes, yeah. <laughs> the country yeah. where this happens all the time. Mm -hmm. uh, another thing they bring up, of course, is money in politics. And if you if you are interested to see how money in politics plays a role, go onto a website called opensecrets.org. Um, it's an NGO that tries to track as much as it can money in politics and who gets paid for what. And you can see some of it is quite open. Um, you know, how much Marco Rubio gets pay, paid by the um, private prison industrial complex, um, you know, prisons for profit that have prisoners that don't work for money. So there's a word for that. What, what is it, Chris? I'm not sure what it might be. Lobbying? Slaves. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, so uh, uh, yeah, we've got money in politics. So apparently, there were for the midterms more than sixteen point seven billion US dollars were poured into uh, politics, and donations from billionaires accounted for fifteen percent of the federal total, up from eleven percent in the twenty twenty election. So yeah, billionaires are having more of an effect on politics. That's democracy. That yeah, and that's not new to anybody who pays attention to this information um obviously some people on the american sort of um center will be scratching their heads and absolutely surprised by that, that fact but mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah other thing they mentioned here of course life expectancy has gone down in america uh partly due to drug abuse um but it's down to 76.1 years uh which is the lowest since 1996 and as we mentioned before it's now lower than the chinese life expectancy um considering that they have four times the amount of people um, that's pretty poor on the Americans to, you know, have uh, the inability to provide for a smaller group of people. Hmm. Um, yeah. And apparently, yeah, hundred thousand people die from drug abuse every year in the, in the States. Yeah. That is pretty shocking. I, I saw that in um, a statistic, go back onto the, the, the gun section and um, that gun violence has now overtaken cars as the biggest killer of children in America. And that is pretty, insane thing to to not yeah. take action on um yeah obviously the americans are, even even some leftists online which really gets on my nerves where they intentionally pretend to not know what an assault rifle is and they'll say things like oh you want to buy assault rifles but you can't even define what an assault rifle is see that village we're going to attack that village shall we take muskets no what shall we take with us the assault rifle. You know what an assault rifle is. Don't pretend you yeah. don't. It's an insult yeah. to pretend that you don't. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, I, I mean, the, the I don't really engage with the gun debate anymore. I, I, there's no, I mean, obviously, I don't live in America, but it, it just seems to me that because of the money, money in politics uh, and 
you know, all of the, the propaganda and brainwashing that goes around that with the amendments and rights and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, that I, I, they're not going to fix this problem. Um, no. Any no. Soon. America uh, are because they've got the sort of holy sort of association of their constitution. Like every country has a constitution, apart from us, um, and they, they amend them. They regularly revise the constitution, change it. That's a normal thing for countries to do. And yeah. it's, it's weird for America to not have done. Yeah, yeah. And then when they do, uh, have I do them, think, they amend yeah. things. I, I do shape, think... Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, that's essentially just sort of tipexing bits out and changing it for something else. But it's the same mm -hmm. essential document for that long. Mm -hmm. And it is completely out of date. It's not fit for purpose. Guns fire mm -hmm. tremendously differently than they did back then. For one, it says yeah. you're meant to be in a well-regulated militia, which you're going to follow it. The Militia Act in like the 20s, militias are now effectively the National Guard. So that from the transfer of logic there, if you want a gun, you should be in the army, or at least the National Guard. That is what a mm -hmm. well-regulated militia is in American law. Mm -hmm. um, but obviously with, with drugs, the, majority, the, the, the flow of drugs in America comes from the South to United States, but the guns go from United States to the South. The cartel mm -hmm. can bring guns in, drugs in, because America armed them so well. <laughs> yeah, 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 it's true. Yes, <laughs> yeah. It was like almost, like, almost some sort of new... You know, a transatlantic trade system yeah. where you know drugs and guns are sort of, and 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 then migrants, uh, economic migrants, uh, involved too. In fact, actually, yeah. that's actually an actual migrants flee because South fleeing the guns that the Americans are. <laughs> yes, and and also the often the um, the immigrants that are held in detention centers are being run by the prison industrial complex, yeah. uh, who then gets all of these taxes and money from housing these people. Um, I don't think they've forced them to work yet, but I, I can very much see them that that being a, a realistic proposal somewhere <laughs> in some office in America um, to pay, you know, to be more efficient with their government so they can get these these illegal immigrants to work for free. I could definitely see that coming out of the lips, uh, come off the lips of someone in America. Um, actually, you, you know, you said you talked about the sort of the gun group here. So the Chinese report does say collusion between politicians and businesses paralyzed the gun control agenda. U.S. gun interest groups have mounted powerful political lobbying for their own interests. In defiance of public opinion, the government has drastically relaxed gun controls, allowing guns to be carried in crowded public places such as hospitals, schools, bars, and stadiums. Um, yeah, it also talks specifically in New York, they had to overturn um, a rule for carrying handguns. So you, you conceal and carry, whatever it's called. They actually, someone you know, sued the New York government, won because of the constitution, and now you are allowed to carry uh, your handgun openly um, in New York. So, yeah, yeah progress, uh, at least in some form, someone's mind. But, yeah. It is ridiculous, though. And, it, and it, in terms of, like, personal rights, which they are all about, for me personally, in the UK, if we had laws anywhere similar to that, and say if I was in, in McDonald's and some guy comes behind me wearing an AR-15 on his back and a revolver on his hip, mm. I'd be pissed off at that. But I, no, I, I cannot relax and have a meal. How do I know that you're not a nutter? I have, I have to have that trust in you. Mm -hmm. You're obviously unhinged because you've just walked into McDonald's with a gun. That in itself <laughs> doesn't create <Yeah. laughs> the yeah. sameest thing to do. <laughs> right, right, yeah. It's a, catch, a bit of a catch to there. You have to be <laughs> mad enough. To do this. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> 
So I, I think for this report, though, obviously it goes into all sorts, but just to remind people, if, if they aren't aware as well, um, just the prisons in America. So according to a report jointly released by the University of Chicago Law School and the American Civil Liberties Union, on June 16th, 2022, the United States incarcerates more than 1.2 million people in state and federal prisons. About 800,000 were engaged in forced labor, accounting for 65% of the total number of prisons. prisoners. Over 76% of the prisoners surveyed said they would be punished with solitary confinement, no mitigation and loss of family visitation rights if they refused to work. Uh, incarcerated workers were forced to provide food service, laundry and other operations, but they have few rights and protections said a report by the Prison Policy, Policy Initiative on March 14th, 2022. Besides, incarcerated workers typically earn little to no pay at all, according to a research by American Civil Liberty Union, the Civil Liberties Union, on June 15, 2022. American prisons have become veritable modern-day slavery factories. Yeah, uh, and that statistic, actually 1.2 million, um, I actually had to write a similar report to this, uh, is going back up. So it's actually down because of COVID. So COVID, you had give or take a year and a half where courtrooms were not operating at full capacity so they couldn't convict as many people so that 1.2 million is very low right now and it's increasing again so it usually sits at about 2 million people and that is the most in the world per capita and total so china and india have less prisoners than america and america has at least a billion less people so, yeah, <laughs> yeah china, america has the highest prison population ever. Their prison population yes. dwarfs what the Soviet gulag system was in between a revolution and a world war. Mm. But they, they yeah. always like to historically say, oh, but Stalin and the gulag system and how, how oppressive it was. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. It, it, yeah. It's a drop in the ocean compared to... Yeah, yeah there's more prisons. The gulag system now in itself is, is a subject big enough to dive into in a really interesting way, which we will do one day. Uh, but the American system is... is is that oppressive system that they accuse everyone else of this. And just yep. what you were seeing there with um, the slavery. Now, obviously, a, a lot of uh, our audience will be Americans, and they'll probably know this a lot more than us. Uh, but the 13th Amendment, which is the amendment in the Constitution that bans, ban, is meant to ban slavery, is credited to a ban slavery, it has a clause in there. Neither slavery nor involuntary servitude, except as punishment where for a crime where the party shall have been duly convicted shall exist within the United States. They literally say accept, but the, so we do allow it. They literally just moved the slaves from the cotton fields to the prisons. And right, right. I've had this discussion many times where prison labor, I personally, I'm in favor of prison labor, but prison labor is meant to be reformative. The people that use prison labor are private companies. McDonald's use American prison labor. Nintendo of America do. These are private companies. Mm -hmm. In the mm -hmm. state of California, one some of the biggest fire, uh, group of firefighters come from prisons. So they literally, mm -hmm. when you see these horrendous Californian wildfires where half the state's in flames, and mm -hmm. those people battling those fires are prisoners mm -hmm. who are there risking their life to do that. Th there has to be a line of when it's for the common good, which I'm in favor of, the firefighters, I think, is a good thing to do as long as that is voluntary and as long as they're getting mm -hmm. some sort of compensation for that because that is risking your life. Mm -hmm. yeah. I was in prison for 10 years for th fraud and they said, you want to go and fight fires? I'd want something back for that, <laughs> some time off at least. Right. But no, right. I'm not right. making 
chips for a company that are using this for profit just so they yeah. don't have no, to yeah, so they can make yeah, 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 wages. yeah 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 no i mean obviously yeah re re restorative justice or not i forgot what the expression is but giving people opportunities to have skills so yeah. that when they do come out of jail that they have a skill that is worthy to them to you know to the country to the market whatever you want to call it yeah um yeah, so I, I think there's something to said for that. Whether yeah, so breaking rocks with a hammer probably not that great, um, but you know yeah. maybe uh, oh, such an old-fashioned sort of view, yeah, isn't yeah. it? Like, like chain gangs, <laughs> the sheriff on the horse with his shotgun with his gla glasses yeah. looking over, usually a group yeah. of black men in chains hitting yeah. hammer onto rocks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I don't yeah. even understand what they're actually doing. Like, what are you doing with these little rocks? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah, it's, it seems very inefficient, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. Anyway, that, that is something that the report goes into, which 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 we didn't touch on. Of course, is the racial yeah. element. So, is highly, um, you know, inequality on racial lines is is rampant. Yeah. Um, but yeah, let's go on to actually, um, you know. So uh, just to sort of yeah. to finish off on on this sort of summit, if we're on that. So obviously, the yeah. summit itself. Just mm -hmm. after what the Chinese have just pointed out there, the whole thing is a bit of a joke in itself. Um, and then when you look at who is attending so israel as we've just said which is in a state of flames at the moment after their government netanyahu who is backed by popular demand apparently but is now one of the most unpopular men in israel because he's just made effectively a power grab to take over the courts mm. who because he's actually been investigated for fraud he was under investigation for fraud when he actually made his presidential run a deeply corrupt and criminal man in himself who is now trying mm. to take over the course effectively so he can't be indicted. He is one of the guest speakers at the Summit for Democracy. Uh, Taiwan, which famously is not a country, <laughs> is at the Summit for Democracy. Hungary have been banned from it. Hungary is not the which, that. Yeah, and Turkey is also not invited, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, so Hungary is good enough to be part of NATO, good enough to be part of the EU. <laughs> not good enough to be part of the Summit for Democracy. I think that says yeah, a lot more about really, the EU yeah. than it does about Hungary. Right, 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 right. Yeah, I, I, yeah. It's a, 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 a as as some uh, I think the CPI has already called it the the, the Summit of Hypocrisy rather than yes. the Summit of Democracy. <laughs> yeah, good, 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 good soundbite for that one. Um, yeah, uh, I actually wanted to play. So the Chinese counter um, or, uh, summit conference, whatever you want to call it, the one that they held um, where they invited all sorts of people. Um, they have an individual, I, I believe he's from the Zambian Socialist Party. So it's quite a long video, but it's actually all very good. So I'm going to put him up here. Um, he is speaking in Beijing at this conference, and he said some really, really good stuff. Country that supported colonial regimes the apartheid regime in South Africa, the white racist minority regime in Zimbabwe, now Rhodesia, now Zimbabwe, the Portuguese colonial governments in Mozambique, in Angola, in Guinea-Bissau, and Cape Verde. Today is coming to Africa to teach us about democracy. A country that has toppled so many governments in Africa, that has led so many coups in Africa and other parts of the world. A country that has killed so many of our leaders in Africa and other parts of the world. 
the killers of Patis Rumumba, those who tap, toppled Kwame Nkrumah. So just a quick interjection on that one. So um, Patrice Lumumba obviously is the independence leader from the Congo. And yes, the US, the CIA involved in his capture and execution. Um, but on, on the flip side, I believe, I don't know if you know this or not, Chris, but the um, one of the universities in Moscow has just renamed itself uh, Patrice Lumumba University. Oh, no, I didn't know that. I thought it was quite interesting yeah. because Lumumba, yeah, yeah. when they, one of the reasons why they had him killed, they accused him of being a communist and he wasn't. He actually got very mm -hmm. sort of yeah. politically, sort of, I don't want to say flaky, but he didn't really have a very You'd, defined yeah. political ideology other than liberation, independence, independence yeah. for, for Congo. Of course, what came after of Zaire and the, the dictatorship afterwards um, <laughs> brought the country to actual, absolute ruin and was defended to the bitter end by Ronald Reagan and his, in, and his regime. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 And also that country, I mean, that's the, the, the one of the, the probably the greatest tragedy of Africa is, is the Congo, because ever since um, the West, the French and the Americans um, organized to get him assassinated, uh, Congo has been, you know, the eastern part of the country has been chaos. There's been civil yeah. wars, um, and and really never never a day of of, of peace and uh, and progress. Um, for yeah, them. I think one one thing that people don't realize is the the border between the two Congos, the Republic of Congo and the Democratic Republic. That's been one of the longest. <laughs> the dog in the background. <laughs> uh, that's been Great. one of the longest conflicts in the world at this point. That's still open trenches fighting. Yeah. And yeah. Absolute and it, it's just sort of ignored by the West. Mm. Absolutely. Well, actually, in worse so, um, I mean, obviously, it's, it's a complex region. Rwanda um, and uh, Kagame is the leader of Rwanda. Um, he's done very good things for the economy, but one of the sort of odd um, things is, of course, the Congolese accuse him of funding lots of rebels. Um, and in the east of the Congo, you have lots of cobalt and rare earth materials. Now, Rwanda itself doesn't have many of these reserves. But if you look at Rwanda's exports, it's one of the biggest exporters of those materials, particularly cobalt. Um, so you can kind of say, well, wh where did you get this stuff from? Well, you know, East Congo is just over the border. And uh, that's where it's from, basically. Yeah. So, yeah. Unfortunately, Another Rwanda is now going to be one of the biggest importers of British immigrants as well, unfortunately. Right, right, yeah. So yeah. I think we should we should do an episode on Rwanda actually because it's it's a very interesting um, situation there because economically um, they're doing very well um, and actually have assisted in terms of regional politics, um, you know, with fighting ISIS for example, ISIS in, in yeah. Mozambique. Uh, but yeah, let's go into that another time. Uh, let's yeah. just see what else they've got to say. Those who killed Nasser, those who killed Muammar Gaddafi today are coming to teach us about democracy. A country that has been built on a brutal force, on enslavement of other human beings, on the humiliation of Africans, the exploitation of Africans, the plunder of Africa, today is coming to teach us about democracy. That's the arrogance, the imperialist arrogance.
the racist arrogance that we are subjected to. We cannot have democracy where there is hegemony of the strongest, mightiest imperialist power. We cannot have democracy where a country's resources, a country's decisions are dictated to by another country. A country that is dominated by another country cannot be democratic. A country that lacks sovereignty cannot be democratic. A people that cannot decide for themselves cannot be democratic. A colony, a new colony cannot be democratic. That's why today, even at the United Nations, membership is on the basis of sovereignty. Only sovereign nations can be members of the United Nations because only sovereign nations can decide for themselves. A colony cannot be a member of the United Nations. It's not by accident. It's not a mistake. If you have no respect for the dignity of others, if you have no respect for the sovereignty of other countries, you cannot claim to be a champion of democracy. They used to say all roads lead to Rome. Today we can confidently say all roads to progress, all roads to what is better for humanity lead to Beijing. This is a country, this is a people that have developed themselves that has developed itself without colonizing any country in the world, without plundering any country in the world, without subjugating any people in the world. This is a country that is developing with maximum respect for others, for their history, for their cultures, and recognizes the diversity that is there in civilization. We were only taught one form of civilization, one form of modernization. That was the Western way. Westernness was a measure of how civilized, how modern you are. We reject that. We reject it because it's not correct. We reject it because it's undemocratic. We reject it because it's uncivilized think of the world and of other people in that way. Today they cannot accept the fact that China has caught up with them. China is about to surpass them in many areas of human endeavor. The imperialist arrogance is inhibiting them from accepting that reality. The racist arrogance is inhibiting them from accepting that reality. But the world is changing. The changes we are witnessing today 
as President Xi said in Moscow recently, or the, day, the other day, they have never been seen in 100 years. They have shaped a world that they themselves today are scared of. And they have shaped a world that is not sustainable. Democracy, human development is not sustainable on the basis of plunder, on the basis of enslavement, on the basis of humiliating other people every day. That is a system we are seeing today, a system that will not survive if plunder is eliminated if subjugation of other peoples, other nations is eliminated, if inequality in the world is eliminated, that system will disappear. The only system that you can survive and can endure for long is a system that is based on mutual benefit, win-win relationships, mutual respect for others, accommodation and tolerance of others, and fraternal love for all humanity. This is what we find in China today. This is what China's example is showing us. Indeed, all paths are different. There's no path that is the same, even if they are leading to the same destination. Each path has got its own characteristics. We are, being, we are seeing that, we are learning that, we are experiencing that today with China. There are many things that need to be done. Here we go. A country that was opposed to our... There we go. All right. All right, walk straight, bud. You go down there, you scare those kids on the right. Sorry, something else started playing. That was excellent. Um, yeah, I mean, to be honest, that might be one of the uh, the best speeches of summarizing the last few years and the next couple of years of yeah. where things are going, development, geopolitics, um, the right path. There's there's a lot of stuff there. I think it was actually one of the best speeches of recent times, actually. Um, and he was yeah. reading from the from the heart. There's no paper there. Was it Botswana? I have no idea. I think doesn't know what party he is with because he sounded like Marxist, like there were definitely some aspects of it that you could have literally swapped some words out when he was talking about different paths into the same location and stuff. It sounded like literally, mm -hmm. that, like I've read that in, in, in Marx before, just the, certain words would have been swapped with certain certain other words. Uh, it's, well, but it literally sounded have like, a, like he was a, paraphrasing verses there. Yeah, he did also say what, you know, he did have a, a, a take of what is to be done. Was it was a slight a, Yes, a I heard there, that as well. So, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. We'll find out, and we'll, we'll provide it for next week yeah. when we when we we'll, we'll find out who that well, is. I, I think it's excellent. I, I hope there that. a certain Scottish fedora wearing. <laughs> did did yes. you spot the fedora? Yeah, yeah, spot Mr. Galloway on the front row. <laughs> I think That's Galloway it. did That's give it. a speech at this as well. Um, he did. He did. I haven't got that one, but um, he did give a speech too. A yeah, good I've, speech. I've seen it. I recommend anyone to, to watch it if you haven't. But yeah, obviously, the whole the whole. Conference was quite good. Um, obviously, it always makes me laugh. With uh, there was a 
as as a, what was it, as a Kenyan official recently put it, every time China visits Africa, um, they get hospital. Every time the British visit Africa, they get a lecture. <laughs> yes, yes, I've heard that one. Yeah, yeah. So lecturing <laughs> us on the <laughs> Yeah. And uh, actually, speaking of, yeah, you know, Africans speaking for themselves and standing up for themselves and uh, saying interesting things and having good speeches, uh, we've got, of course, something we didn't mention when we talked about Russia was the ICC uh, calling Putin a, um, you know, war criminal, um, which they didn't do for Bush or Blair. And actually, yes. when they talked about doing this for US soldiers, they were threatened uh, with bombing by uh, Pompeo. But we'll leave that to the side. They've they've released a um, you know they're saying they're gonna that you know they, they, we all have to arrest Putin now if he arrives yeah. at your airport and you're a signature of ICC you're gonna have to arrest him he's a criminal. Um, but yeah. I'll show you what Malema had to say for that one. So yeah, it is a pretty shocking move in itself. Uh, obviously, my first thought of when it when it happened was Putin's a little bit white for this, isn't he? I thought the the ICC is was essentially built for primarily for sort of African leaders isn't it well, that's that's why it seems to be for i've never heard of a white man african leader yeah 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 other than yeah. obviously you've got a few um yugoslav uh croatian serbs um yeah who, who have been who have been indicted in it before but generally speaking this this is it's a it's a show isn't it and yeah. as as he just alluded to in that speech there bush yeah. was never indicted Tony Blair was never indicted. They 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 killed they killed Saddam for something that he did that he didn't have weapons. Yes. They killed uh, yeah. Gaddafi. They said Gaddafi was going door to door killing people. He was on the ground saying these people are, are ISIS. And there was, no, they're not. Shut up. And they were they were ISIS. <laughs> yes, yeah. yes, yes. I mean, we also going back to the Syria conversation. That was the whole thing as well. You know, the the Syrian democratic troops were actually um, just members of ISIS or Al Qaeda yeah. or whatever other happening they come up with let's just play this one from judas Malema. it's only one minute quickly uh, his thoughts on the icc warrant for putin we don't want uh icc's hypocrisy to apply here in our country president putin is welcomed we know our friends we know the people who liberated us we know the people who supported us in kutokonavan the weapons that were used in Kutukonaval that led to the liberation of South Africa were coming from Russia. Russia supplied us with weapons in Kutukonaval. Cuba supplied us with soldiers. MK was drunk. Cuba brought the soldiers. Russia brought the armaments. We were supposed to be the ones that are being complimented and supported by these other countries who have found wanting. Okay, yeah. So it, I, in another video, he actually says, if Putin lands here, we will escort him to the meeting and he will yes. be safe and we will escort him back. Um, yeah. But he's also still correct. He's absolutely yes. correct. With the story Putin is there, welcome yeah. here yeah. and no one's going to arrest Putin. If need be, we will go and fetch Putin from the airport, take him to the meeting where we will address and finish his meeting and we will take him back to the airport. Um, yeah. I was <laughs> It's, it's obviously just another example of the sort of tentacles of the West sort of fail, they're losing their sock on their targets. Um, obviously, just to sort of explain who he, who he is, just so I'll, I'll, let, I'll let you just sort of explain because I know you're um, quite big into, into this particular party, aren't you? 
Mm, yeah, yeah. So yeah, so that, that's Julius Maleva. That's the he's the leader of the Economic Freedom Fighters, which is a, a Marxist-Leninist uh, party in South Africa opposing the ANC. Um, they recently just led the uh, national shutdown, um, which was aiming to uh, gather people to protest, to go on strike, um, to demand Ramaphosa to resign. Ramaphosa being the leader of the ANC. Um, because there's lots of blackouts. I don't know if you noticed on the top right-hand side of the screen, you said it said uh, level three blackouts. Um, so yes, there's a massive problem with electricity in South Africa at the moment, and it's because of corruption primarily. Um, and yeah, Malema's party is doing something about that, trying to get the government to, um, you know, uh, deal with it or, or to, you know, resign and for the president to leave his seat. And also at the same time, yes, the president was found with having half a million dollars in a sofa. But to be honest, it's a long story to get into. Um, that's just who Malema is. He's a, a freedom fighter, a revolutionary in South Africa with a lot of support, a million, a million, more than a million members in his party. I feel the um, biggest at the moment, aren't they, in, in the South African parliament, third biggest yeah, party? In parliament, yes. Yeah. In Parliament, yeah, 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 yeah. That is, it then, is really impressive, especially for a party that is, I think they're, they're like ten years old, aren't they? Ten years old, that's it. Ten years, just right now. Yeah, ten years. Yeah, it is incredibly. Well, yeah, it is, it is very, very impressive to see that that's managed to accomplish it, especially in a, this post-communist world. We've been told that we live in <laughs> that right. groups like yes yeah. are still there, still developing, still getting massive successes. Yeah, no, I mean, you know, the, the, the guys in the EFF will wear um, a shirt that says Marx on it. They've got red berries. Um, yeah. They, are, you know, they, they speak like Marxists and communists because they are Marxists and communists. Um, yes. um, and not as in a derogatory sense that these people really care about their country, South Africa, and they really want to, uh, you know, take it and within their hands and, and liberate um, the impoverished masses who are working in the mines for very rich British companies and American companies. And yeah, that's one of the their yeah. uh, demands isn't it to nationalize the uh, south african mines isn't it yeah yeah so, so so 10 years ago if you remember you had the maracana massacre where workers miners at lonman which is a, a london mining company mine platinum mine were shot by the police uh, 12 or 13 of them killed this party was formed after that six months after that um right. massacre and it's one of the founding sort of reasons was to nationalize the mines and to liberate the country from foreign capital yeah um, but we should do a special on them they're a fascinating party they've got an officer south african politics in in general after apartheid um, it's interesting to look at um yeah know, after Mandela, basically yeah, yeah definitely I think, um, we, I, think, I think we should do that on a, a bigger one i think actually to have a bit of a deeper look into some of not just south africa but a lot of the african parties in general uh, yes there's quite, yes, there's quite a lot of interest and stuff going on that it's such a big continent that just sort of gets overlooked. I think because for an outsider, it can look just so confusing to where do I start in terms mm. of understanding uh, the political powers that are at play there. And so people mm. just don't bother. <laughs> yeah. No. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Sure. Sure. It, it is a it is a big continent, big continent yeah. with, with lots of what's going on and lots of different groups and and lots of yeah regionality as well. Um, yeah, yeah. And we can finally we should answer definitely. the question of how did Chad get Romania's flag? <laughs> <laughs> right. Actually, speaking of Chad, they just nationalized their oil. They just took ExxonMobil's oh. assets. Maybe, maybe they'll be um, they'll be having a summit for democracy there. Um, the Americans are going to sponsor one for them soon. Um, we'll see. Uh, I yeah, and if you're watching this actually, and you 
do think we should talk about those things at some point, please just comment and tell us. So we read all of the comments. So if you have a suggestion of something that we want to watch, um, please do that. So uh, the next one then, Chris, is I think well, we've covered we've covered quite a lot of ground. I wanted to play something that we we actually um, you know managed to get organized um, in relation to obviously TikTok. So we just mentioned China and the summit that the Chinese are hosting, but another interesting. Um, uh, meeting, gathering, congressional hearing that's happening in America right now and has been happening all week is a bunch of congress congressmen have been interrogating the CEO of TikTok. And um, today, actually, um, the Ministry of Propaganda managed to get Senator McCarthy, the infamous Senator McCarthy of the 1950s, to um, conduct his own interview of the CEO of TikTok. And this is what he had to say, and this is what he said. When you appeared before us today, it was pointed out to you that you were born with a Chinese name given to you after the Chinese Communist Revolution had occurred. It was pointed out to you then that this would indicate that you, your company, and your parents must have been in sympathy with the communist regime. So, yes or no, how much private data are you sharing with the communists? Con Congressman, first, I'm, I'm Singaporean. Um, That's fine, but your name sounds kind of Chinesey. We, we understand this concern. In my opening statement, we said, we hear these concerns, we didn't try to avoid them or you know, trivialize them. We built something where we take that data and put it out of reach. Hmm. That's exactly what a liar would say. Let's move on and give you another chance to try and tell the truth. Can you tell me right now with 100% certainty that TikTok does not use the phone's camera to determine whether the content that elicits a pupil's dilation should be amplified by the algorithm? Can you tell me that? We do not collect body, face, or voice data to identify our users. We do not. The, the you don't? The, no, the only face data that you get that we collect is when you use the filters to have, say, sunglasses on your face. We need to know where your eyes are. Why do you need to see where the eyes are if they are not dilated? And, and that data is stored on your local device and deleted after use if you use it for facial. Again, we do not collect body, face or voice data to identify our users. I find that hard to believe. It's our understanding that they are looking at the eyes. Um, how do you determine what age they are then? Uh, we rely on age gating as our key age age gating, which is when you ask the user what age they are. We have also developed some tools where we look at their public profile um, to go through the videos that they post to see whether tell me more about that. It's public. So if you post a video that you choose that video to go public, that's how you get people to see your video. We look at those to see if you it matches up the age that you talked about. Boy, that's creepy. Uh... Mr. Chu, does TikTok access the home Wi-Fi network? Only if the user turns on the Wi-Fi. I'm sorry, I may not understand that. So, if I have the TikTok app on my phone and my phone is on my Wi-Fi network, does TikTok access that network? You will have to, to access the network to get connections to the internet, if, if that's the question. Is it possible then that it could access other devices on that home Wi-Fi network? Congressman, we do not do anything that is beyond any industry norms. Um, I believe the answer to your question is no. It could be technical. Let me get back to you. Okay, yes, please look into that.
But my concerns are not yet satisfied. I have other questions. If I have TikTok on my phone, might it take my mother out for a nice meal and then not call her back? Yes. So there you go. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that was that was very interesting. Yes, yeah, we, we, we might be seeing um, a bit more of Senator McCarthy. Um, we're considering obviously hiring for the Ministry of Propaganda. He might be a regular correspondent for us, um, asking those important questions. Um, yeah, as well yeah, as be a good foil. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So, oh yes, just the last one then is also uh, Latouf, the artist, French artist that also we looked at some of his art earlier. Also made another nice, similarly and similarly inspired. Um, little uh you know cartoon here about the tiktok inquiry the ghost of joseph mccarthy coming to uh ask them about tiktok but uh we got him to actually interview so i think um we might have been better than latouf in this case so yeah yeah, um, yeah it's, it's quite it's a funny on, little on ghost from tiktok i remember the same thing happening in reverse with uh pokemon go back in like 2015 uh where a lot of countries were, were banning Pokemon Go for the Americans doing the exact same thing, using it because effectively it's a, it was a GPS camera, wasn't it? You're filming yes. your entire surroundings, and that's being then sent to an American company in, in the States. And when you do read these companies' terms, a lot of the times they do openly admit that they'll provide that information to anybody who basically comes knocking for it. Uh, yeah, yeah. But obviously, in terms of TikTok, as as I believe this guy pointed out. Everything's in America. I mean, this does seem to be a, a yes. public-driven ghost hunt. <laughs> right, right, right. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, and also just just to clarify, the um, McCarthy was actually asking questions. Eighty percent of the questions were actual questions asked by the yeah, actual. He asked those questions. <laughs> he asked questions. Yeah, those those were, those were questions that they asked. Um, we did. Those were not all made up. So. <laughs> um, but yeah. So. Uh, but yeah, I just feel like there's huge amnesia here. Uh, have we forgotten what Edward Snowden said? Uh, do we have forgotten who Edward Snowden is? Do we not remember him, you know, being interviewed by the Guardian and putting a blanket over his head to access his computer because yeah. he said, "If you can, if they can see your eyes, uh, effectively the reflection from your eyes enough for them to not isolate it, whatever." The point being is that the power to access data by the NSA and other intelligence agencies yeah. is ridiculous. Um, so TikTok, uh, you know, doing stuff that Facebook and whatever have already been doing. Um, and not to say that TikTok has even done that yet. I don't feel like there's even been smoking any smoking gun and they haven't been charged with anything yet. Um, this is just a hearing to try and find something. Um, but it is also 1950s in many respects because of the, the fear. So you have... Uh, an ailing uh, America um, trying to stir up Cold War politics, the summit for democracy and freedom yeah. and all that kind of stuff, um, and trying to build, as the Chinese would call it, this Cold War mentality. So they, they, they're they struggling. And then also, it also doesn't feel a bit like the, um, you know, the Sputnik moment when, you know, the Americans saw Sputnik fly over, over America and were terrified. So I guess you could say the Chinese spy balloon was a sort of maybe a reminder of that, that of Sputnik yeah. flying over, uh, but not representing for space stuff, but re representing TikTok. Um, that the, the fact that the American people, their youth, 150 million subscribers or whatever it is, 150 million people on the app, um, which is most of America, 
yeah, a Chinese technology, Chinese soft power, if you want to use that expression, is yeah. in pockets and in the minds of all of Americans. And that's what uh, it is. It's, it's regardless of whether there's any truth in the allegations, what's important to America is that they're making the allegations in the first place. Hmm. It's it's blaming China for anything just for the sake of blaming. Just to keep that red scare alive and going in, in the minds of people. If, if, if China hadn't invented TikTok, America would have had to invent it themselves and then blame China for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> or whether they're hacking it. Yeah, it doesn't. Yeah. This is rather, you're damned if you do, damned if you don't. Sort of. Yeah. Of so what they did before that with uh, Huawei. Huawei. Yeah. 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 The, yeah. This is also exactly again. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And, and the chips also. So it's it's you know if you lose if you start losing the game you just yeah. stop you just break the game you stop playing you just okay fine we you can't buy chips your yeah. phone company can't operate here your app can't operate here um okay yeah just just change the game if you're not if yeah. you're losing basically that's pretty sad in a sense actually because <laughs> you know it's inevitable that the us will be um you know comparatively smaller than someone at some point whether that's china or india or whatever um and a, a sort of final point i want to mention is that it's if we're bringing this back to the unipolar multipolar world discussion um it is mad that I think it's 5% of the world's population thinks that it has the right to dictate terms to the rest of the world. Um, yeah. But even though that is fading away and, and we're seeing the beginning of the end of that, I don't think, and this is actually from Jeffrey Sachs on, on the Duran, he said this, that it means uh, that the 17% or whatever it is that the Chinese are, are going to replace them. They will not be a hegemon in the same way. Um, no. We're seeing a change to a different world, a new kind of world. Um, yeah, yeah, I think we are seeing that very very quickly de develop and, and i think uh, a lot of people in the west a lot of commentators a lot of politicians in the west i've got the head in the sand and refusing to see basically the writing on the wall regarding this that the time the time is sort of up for that of of american hegemony and i would say that this would sort of bring an end to the united states of america in that sense not from any military conflict but america is based on the notion that it is number one and as soon as it's not number one anymore that's basically its reason for being gone. If, it, if it's not the number one military power, if it's not the number one economic power, then what the hell is it doing even together? At that point, you, you'll have your movements in California to leave, you'll have your movements in Texas to leave. Like California, if it was to leave America, would be one still one of the richest countries in the world. Yes. yes. And I think I feel like that will become a notion. Like if we're not number one, then we're nothing. Uh, yeah, it's an interesting proposal. I, I mean, I, I would hope that there wouldn't be a split or a war or something like this. I, I hope that they, they could find a comfortable place to live out um, a decent spot in the world. Uh, one of the top countries, of course, still very powerful, still very important. Um, you know, um, but, you know, obviously playing by the new rules, that would be the best, I think. Um, yeah. But I can also agree with you. I think that if 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 oh, the Brits will be able to teach them a few tricks, like it's not it's not so bad being number two. <laughs> <laughs> right. Very, very nice. Yeah. Anyway, um, um, I so think it's good uh, for this. Oh, you one more point? Go ahead. Yeah. Oh, sorry. I, uh, just uh, I want to just sort of plug something quickly, just whilst we're on, on the hmm. subject. Oh, yes. Go ahead. Um, yeah. So on the 29th of April, there is a conference coming up, a, a seminar summit, and um, being hosted by. Alexander Dugin. 
so this is the global conference on multipolarism and fourth political theory. Uh, so this is uh, basically uh, 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 as it says on the tin. Uh, so I would recommend people do want to check it out. There's a subscription resignation. Uh, what's the word? The word has gone. Registration online. Uh, the whole thing is just on Zoom. So you're not having to go anywhere, but it is an all day sort of seminar. Uh, people sort of discussing multipolarism, which is 90% of what we discuss on the show. Uh, so chances are, if you like our content, you'll like some of the speakers here. Um, mm. Obviously, Dugan will be speaking. Uh, it, that in itself is is going to be quite an interesting interesting uh, sort of talk. So I would recommend people to go and check that out. What's the date again for that, Chris? When is that happening? That's the 29th of April. Okay, so a month from now. Okay, great. Yeah. Cool. So, so yes, register for that one if you want and and don't forget to like share subscribe and uh comments please uh in the comments put any ideas suggestions uh, or any thoughts on what we've discussed tonight and we will catch you next week thank you very much for watching thank you very much